thank you once again for making time today for this, uh, for this study. Uh, for those who have been here for the past, I think it's now almost two months. Yeah, two Saturday, uh, yeah, two months, eight Saturdays. Uh, we have been studying the supremacy and excellencies of Jesus Christ. And our theme verse has been from Hebrews chapter one, from verse one to four. Uh, for those who are joining us for the first time, I will take, you know, take this moment to just read through um, that particular scripture reference. And then we shall proceed with today's topic. A quick recap of, yes, of last, last Saturday's teaching and then pick up for today's. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. And it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. We, have, we, we, we got a chance to look at the sonship of Jesus. We got a chance to look at um, him being the heir of all things, uh, him being the creator of all things, him being the radiance of God's glory or the fulgence of the fulgence of the Father. And now we are looking at him being the exact representation of the father of God. And that is from uh, verse 3b. Yes, last time we began actually from verse 3b, where we were highlighting the verse that he is the exact representation of his being. He is the exact representation of his being. Who's being? God's being. And... Um, Last week we go to that. Um, last week we managed to um, go through various scriptural references where we were looking at Christ as I am, um, the name I am, where he mentioned it in the New Testament and it's the same thing that was mentioned to Moses uh, through the burning bush. And we got to understand that if he was referring to I am in the New Testament, and it's the same word that he must be the one who was represented as a banished bush um, in Exodus as the I am. We also got to understand that Jesus is indeed God because of um, the word essence and the essential being. We understood what that meant. We know that the word form, which is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, which says, Who being in the form of God? Did not consider robbery to equal with God. The word form means for morphe, which is the essence of the essential being. We also got to understand the meaning of the word essence, the word essence. And that came from us um, uh, making out this statement that Christ was not only God manifest, but also God in essence, which means the intrinsic nature or the indispens in indispensable quality of something, especially something that is abstract that determines its character, that Jesus, that Jesus determines or is the representation of God's character, something that is indispensable. It can never be taken away from him. It is innate, something that is inborn. 
intrinsic nature, something that is inborn. We also got to read uh, that, uh, that he is the exact production of God. And we learned that from the, we learned words like uh, character, which means express image, which means um, uh, the, the, the exact translation of character in Greek into English means a die or stamp, stamp. So that is like a mirror image of something. And we said that um, when you talk about uh, his exact production of God in, 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 in person or in the person of Jesus, then we also got to understand the word, um, uh, what is it called? Hypostasis, 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 which means that which stands under, that which stands under. And we now translate it to mean the nature and the essence of God. So um, uh, for those who are, I said, will join us for the first time today, I would encourage you to get the teachings for the previous weeks so that you may just understand um, these wonderful words that you're throwing left, right, and center in Greek and in English. And so you can be well acquainted with them and have an understanding of what we are learning of Jesus being the express image or the exact representation of the Father. So today we are looking at part B of this uh, subtopic where we are looking at his being. His being, we are looking, we want to understand the concept of the doctrine of the Trinity. The concept of the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, There's so many um, explanations. If you go online or if you read books, you see there's a myriad of explanations and uh, both from the religious point of view and the secular point of view where people are trying to understand what is this trinity that we, we as believers try and uh, impose on the faith that we believe in, that is, uh, that is God and his, his deity. But I, I want to quickly summarize this um, so that we can move on to the next character of Christ. Um, the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, one thing you must understand that it is nowhere found in, in the Bible. I spent some time to look for it because thankfully I didn't go and read from Genesis to Revelation. There's Google. Google really is a friend. It's a friend to the needy. So, and I was needed to understand at that time. And a lot of the scholars, biblical scholars and uh, theologians um, or theologists said or have mentioned that this word Trinity does not exist in the Bible. So there's not one session or one point you'll find that, um, you know, God is referring to himself as I am the Trinity or we are the Trinity. However, just because the word does not exist in scripture doesn't mean that the concept is untrue. Um, I think that some, uh, some time ago we understood what the meaning of truth is, that there has to be uh, some kind of proof, uh, whether it's by empirical knowledge or experiential or uh, logistical, um, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but logistical uh, truths or proofs or whatever it is that we are positing. So we know that just because the triune nature of God has not been explicitly written down in the Bible, it doesn't mean that 
it doesn't exist or there's no we cannot have the the three persons of god expressed in 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 in, in the bible it's the same way that we, we 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 i think psychologists and also spiritual leaders and scholars have also mentioned that a human being is in three forms you have the body you have the soul and you have the spirit i unless you can dispute this i don't know has anyone ever seen their spirit no we've not seen your soul you can't see that they're sitting with my soul and my spirit and they're having a conversation and they even drank a cup of tea if you start speaking like that there's a high likelihood that people will think that you're going loony. But we still know that those, those particular elements exist. And a lot of the time we're told that the soul realm is where the mind is, you know, because if your soul is afflicted, then your mental state can never be stable. So we like to say, you know, uh, let's have uh, to call it mental health is important because it's a very, cent- it's a very central part of our being. And if your mind is is corrupted in any way, then your very essence will be lost. So at least we understand, if we're able to believe and understand that these elements make up the human being, then whether you're a Christian or not, um, it it would suggest that you need to begin to understand and believe, begin to understand and believe that there is a three part uh, existence of the Father. There's a three part existence of the Father. Of, of God, I mean, um, the three part existence of God. And over time, we have seen that there are mentions of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, I want us to take a journey to find those particular references so that it can validate that particular theory and bring understanding to what the Trinity really means. And um, by first, um, I want us to, to break down the meaning of the term Trinity. Break down the meaning of the term Trinity. Trinity is formed from tri, which means three, and the word niti, which is derived from unity. So it is formed from tri, which is from three and meaty, which is derived from unity. So if you were to really take it in its simple form, you would call it triunity rather than trinity, the triunity. So it expresses the the idea or the yeah the thought that there is a three in one. Three in one that three parts exist in one. Three parts come and become, come together to be one. So this particular doctrine of Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity states that there is one God who is one in essence or in character or in nature or in substance, and we call it substance, but three in personality. So it is one God who is one in essence or substance, but three in personality. One God who is one in essence or substance, but three in personality. So it doesn't mean that there are three independent gods. You know, the Hindus have over three million gods. 
and yet they still esteem, I think Vishnu, if I'm not wrong, as the main procreator of these gods. But if they were in trouble, they would actually go to a particular god for that particular need. They'll never really look at Vishnu as one god encompassing all the rest. And that's why, as I talked earlier on, they have no problem with having Jesus as one of the other gods. He falls as part of them. There, you're Jesus. Okay, that's okay. I dated someone who actually believed he, he resented my Jesus because of the way I was represented, representing him. But at some point, he was yielding and said, okay, fine. If you're really insisting that he's the supreme one, I that's your own belief. But for me, I can add him. Actually, it's okay. Uh, I can pray to him when you want me to pray to him. And I don't even want to have a meal together or let's say I'm saying there's an issue. I'm saying I need us to pray. I'm saying the name of Jesus. How can you say amen? Because now in his mind, he had considered like, okay, fine. I'm not going to argue with this crazy chick who thinks that this is a supreme God. That's her own. But time, when, when it's required, when it's necessary, then I will, of course, yeah. I can cross over and say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is cool. Let me, it's okay. Amen. You know? So um, that, I was just giving that example to understand that we, in this, in our, in our belief system, we are not looking at three independent gods. We're looking at one God. He's one God. But he has three persons who at the same time are co-equal and they co-exist. They are co-equal. They coexist, they are co-eternal, they are inseparable. You cannot separate one from the other. And that's why Jesus was saying that whatever I speak is of my father. Everything that I say, I cannot speak without him having appointed me to say these things. And when he was making reference to the Holy Spirit as well, he said that he will speak not of himself, but what the father says. And he will remind you these things that I have taught you. That means whatever the Holy Spirit says is synonymous to what the Father says and what Jesus said. So they are speaking the same thing. Not in terms of an assistant, you know, you're going to represent, um, like, you know, they're reading the president's speech and is not able to attend a particular function. You're taken in as a president that time, but you're not the president. But in this case, the Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father are one. They are God. So when one speaks, he's spoken for all. When one is silent, he's silent for all. Okay? Um, so I want us to take a, 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 a journey through the Old Testament, a short journey through the Old Testament, to see where the instances, where the doctrine of the triunity or the triune nature of God has been uh, brought out, where we know we're not talking out of our heads. I want to use another terminology, but it's inappropriate for this particular session. But we're not talking out of our heads we are talking things that are real, that are factual, that have been documented. So we'll go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Um, just stay with me. Uh, today it's a lot of reading of verses, and then we'll close with something um, as the Spirit permits us um, in good time. So Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. So I want you to take note of in the beginning God, okay? Then the second and last, or rather the last part of this particular um, uh, excerpt or reading is the spirit of God. 
So that means there's a plural plurality, yes, plurality mm. Mm. of God in his existence. It's not just one person. We have we have been introduced to God as a creator. We've also been introduced to the spirit of God who is moving around. And I think the next thing we hear is that he created, he talk, uh, I think it's in verse three, he said, now let there be light. We think there's a power that was, you know, that emanated from God, the creator. And since we know that it's the spirit of God that was hovering there, so it must be the spirit of God that affected that particular word, whatever has been spoken. Genesis 1 verse 26 says, then God said, let us, let us make man in our image. This is not in singular form. This is in plural. So let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Pay attention. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. He's not saying, let me make man in my image and in my likeness. So we already know that he was not alone. Genesis 3 verse 22 says, the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us. Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Now, now let's, let's he put out his hand and take also of the tree of the tree uh, of life and eat and live forever. So we know that here, he's also referring to himself in a plural nature. Genesis chapter 11 from verse six to seven. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Take note of this. Come, let us go down. Let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Samuel chapter 1, verse 16 to 13. Samuel, first Samuel, sorry. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Sorry, first Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Here we are seeing the spirit of who? The Lord. So this is another introduction of the third person of God. Okay. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Daniel 7, 13 to 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days. One like a son of man, and he came, the one who came, he went to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Here you can already see a reference of 
Christ, because we know that in this particular dispensation, he's the one who has been given all dominion, right? All glory and all the kingdoms of this earth have become his. And he presents himself to the ancient of days. Okay? So it's like Christ was presented to himself by God. Yeah? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here I am. Here am I, send me. And there are very many other verses that still, you know, bring up the whole concept of the Trinity of God, the triune nature of God. So I'll see if I can put them together and then now just share them in the click page so that you can have some time to go through them yourself. So we have a representation of the, tri the, tri the Trinity or the triune nature of God very well demonstrated in the Old Testament. So perchance you are in an argument or you're in a situation where somebody is questioning this understanding and they only say that it is a New Testament concept, you have the scriptural backing to introduce to them where the triune nature of God actually began. And you see it began from Genesis chapter 1. It did not begin maybe in the middle of whatever. It started from 1 plus 1. So that in existence begins to, it, it, I don't know if it spurs up your thinking or it makes you begin to understand that he was not alone. And that's why you cannot separate him from Christ and him from the Holy Spirit. He is put together as one in as much as there are three personalities. Okay? Great. Um, another verse which is very, very interesting because when I stumbled across it, um, I've never seen it in that way. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I used to think that when they were saying the Lord is one, meant that he's alone, like he is the only one. There's not a God but him. But this was a declaration to them that his essence is whatever part of him that you will see is one. It is a representation of his oneness. He is one. He's one in essence. He is one. The Lord our God is one. And that is where the concept of Elohim actually comes from. The concept of Elohim, because the word Lord, I, I think I mentioned this uh, last in the last teaching that Lord means Elohim. And Elohim, because we know that it's a Hebrew word, is used for God, and it is a plural word. Elohim is just not God the Father. It, it depicts the plurality of God's essence or his personality. So when you're saying Elohim, you're actually referring to the three parts of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the word um, um, in, in, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where we also see the instance of one, and it's the, can I say the, the background understanding of what one means, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. This is a typology of the representation of God. The word one here 
in Hebrew means echad or echad, E-C-H-A-D, echad or echad, E-C-H-A-D, which refers to one in a collective sense, one in a collective sense. So it is here to explain that these two shall become one flesh, just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one flesh. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 5, when we're talking about how the correlation, um, we're talking about the correlation between the church and Christ and how we're supposed to love each other and how others should treat their wives and wives should submit to, to, to the husband and that Christ is the head of the church, etc., etc. We no longer see marriage just as um, a, an earthly union for procreation, like what they said, go ye and fill the earth in Genesis. The purpose of marriage, and I think we've talked this even in days past, it is a representation or a depiction or a typology of the union as you know between Christ and the church. Yeah, but going even further, it is also a typology of the oneness that God has within Himself. That when you are, when you are becoming uh, a husband and wife, you are also fulfilling his his greatest desire that you shall become like him. That there shall be a oneness between you and your and your spouse. That they, you should be inseparable. That you should be able to operate as one. And this is one area that the enemy has fought so much because if you if he tries to bring dissension between the two of you then there is a misrepresentation of God. I don't know if you begin to understand that. Because if you and your husband are not able to, you and your wife or you and your husband are not able to walk as one, then you cannot fully represent what God had said in Genesis chapter 2. Because he said, let us make man in one image, right? Yeah, making like us and in our likeness. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, sorry. And then you cannot also fulfill what has been spoken of in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Because that oneness is his kind, it is his essence. It is the reason everything that God has done here in its good sense or in its perfection is supposed to be a representation of who he is. It is an extension of his character, an extension of his being. So the moment there is a dissension between a husband and a wife or the family unit is broken, the enemy has succeeded in distorting the perfect nature of oneness that the Father intended for us here on earth. That's why it is imperative for us to fight for our marriages. Whether you are upset or not upset, whether you are disgruntled, you need to fight. I was reading something interesting this morning that uh, it's from a biblical point of view. And they're saying, yes, there may be a dysfunction between your husband and your wife, the husband and a wife, there may be issues between the two of you. But there is a hope, and each one of them must put in equal weight to ensure that that hope is fulfilled, that you remain married. The secular version of that actually says you should part. If you're seeing that you're incompatible, then part ways. But the biblical sense says that each one of you has a responsibility, a godly responsibility to make this thing work because it is a representation of God's nature. And I think maybe one day, God gives us an opportunity to do premarital counseling. 
it's one of the things I feel we need to emphasize before people get into marriage, that it is not just for a certificate or for sexual, fulfilling sexual desires and pleasures or fulfilling a childhood dream of becoming a mother to many people or being a provider to a, a family. It is greater than our own individual desires. Yes, those things are important, but they're not the core or the essence of marriage between two people. And even when you see the LGBTQIA2 plus movement, it is a distortion of what God has intended for marriage. It is a complete distortion because yes, um, we are all diverse, but it is not diverse in immorality. Our diversification, the diversity I mean, our diversity is not, it's, it's not glorified in immorality. Our diversity is glorified in a morality that is found in Christ. That's when we can celebrate our differences. But the moment we start leaning towards sin, that diversity ceases to be something that can be celebrated. And if you tie it back, you know, you, you try and you know, take a few steps back and understand now from Genesis 22, verse 24, that these two shall become one flesh. And that one means collective sense and it's a representation of the Father, I mean, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then you, you would not be able to applaud or to, when I say condone, I'm not saying go and be violent, but not create an environment that, that celebrates or, you know, makes it okay, you know, like rubber stand, like it's okay. God made us different. We should celebrate each other's differences. And I feel so bad that the rainbow has been stolen to represent that. Yet the rainbow had a different meaning. It was not supposed to represent this kind of diversity. So now even when I post a rainbow that I'm feeling sunshine, sunshine and rainbows in my world, somebody can start to question, does she really mean now she's tan? She's now like this? Or is she, you know, celebrating beauty? And a lot of the times, even me, I question, when I see people putting rainbows, I'm like, hey. And I'm not seeing them in a long time. Yeah, I'm really wondering, are they still the same people we know? Or, uh, they have known themselves in another way. So I, I, I would like, whenever we are dealing with the triune nature of God, let's bring it down as well to something practical in our lives, the way the Father has knit us together as an individual, and then knitting us together as a collective community in the church whether you are a husband and a wife, whether you are fellowshipping together as one, whichever way, it is a representation of his desire to be one, in one accord, in one mind, moving forward to something that is good and perfect, which is in Christ Jesus. So um, are you still there, online team? I have to check if you're breathing. Hello? Yes, we are. Great. Okay. So, um, I want us to also look at the triune nature of God in the New Testament. So it's an extension. We're moving from the Old Testament, validating this particular doctrine or this discourse, and now moving on to the New Testament. Where are these references? Where are the instances where the three persons of God have been mentioned? whether separately or together as one. So in, in, um, in the New Testament, we have the Father being called God. God the Father. God the Father. In John chapter 6, verse 27, 
God the Father. Remember, we are looking at God the Father. Six, let me open that as well. It says, stop toiling and doing and producing for the food that perishes and decomposes in the using, but strive and work and produce rather for the lasting food which endures continually unto life eternal. The Son of Man will give or punish you that, for God the Father has authorized and certified him and put his seal of endorsement upon him. God the Father has authorized Christ, has certified him to be the one to punish us unto eternal life. John chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus said to her, this was to Mary, do not cling to me. This is at uh, his resurrection. Do not cling to me. Do not hold me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. Yet for us, there is only one God, the Father, who is the source of all things and for whom we have life and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through and by whom all things and through and by whom we ourselves exist. So there we have seen that we only have one God, the Father. Galatians chapter 1 verse 1 says, Paul, an apostle, special messenger appointed and commissioned and sent out, not from any body of men, nor by or through any man, but by and through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and God the Father, who raised him from among the dead. Again, we see here God the Father standing out. Ephesians chapter 4, from verse 3 to 6. Be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony and oneness of and produced by the Spirit in the binding power of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as there is also one hope that belongs to the calling you received. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, one God and Father of us all, who is above all, sovereign over all, pervading all, and living in us all. Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. And every tongue, frankly and openly, confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God the Father. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, um, verse 2. Uh, yeah, I think I'll just start from verse 1, sorry. Peter, an apostle, a special messenger of Jesus Christ, writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion scattered abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who were chosen and foreknown by God the Father and consecrated, sanctified, made holy by the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, 
and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace, spiritual blessings, and peace be given to you in increasing abundance. That spiritual peace to be realized in and through Christ's freedom from fears, agitating passions, and moral conflicts. Praise, praise, or honored or blessed. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. By his boundless mercy, we have been born again to an ever-living hope through the res resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm sure there are much more, but these are the ones I felt like I should share with you because they really just bring out that God the Father is, that, that personality of God being the Father is easily brought out in these particular verses in the New Testament. And what I got to see from that is that if I, to make, if I was to make a correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament, I recognize God the Father as a creator, as a creator and sustainer of all things. He's a creator and sustainer of all things. But yet again, if we remember, recall what we were reading from Colossians chapter 1, um, going on, and um, uh, chapter 1, and also Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, uh, verse 2, we look and we see that Christ is also seen as the creator and the sustainer of all things. And this is important for us to understand. Remember that our topic is the primacy and excellencies of Jesus Christ. So understanding him, his being as being one with the Father, brings all these other elements of him into perspective. That he is also the creator. As much as God the Father is the creator, we also know Christ as the creator. So you cannot separate the two. Does that make sense? Okay, until last week. <laughs> you cannot separate the two. We have mentioned that Christ is the creator of all things and all things are sustained by him. Okay? First Corinthians, I think, chapter 8, verse 6, you know, mentions the same thing. At the same time, we are seeing God as the creator and the sustainer of all things because through him all things were made. The world did not exist without him. In Genesis chapter 1, we told that it was through him that the uh, Genesis chapter 1, it was through him that the worlds were created, all things were created. So he's the creator. At the same time, we are seeing that Jesus is the creator. So it is impossible for you to separate the two. Remember, we talked about the essence of God the intrinsic nature and indispensable, indisputable, indispensable nature that determines his character. That you cannot put a distinction between the two of them because they are working together to fulfill a purpose. That's one thing. Okay? Okay, now we come Shule Yangumbaro. Today, today there's difficulty, but the Lord is making easy. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Again, so we're going to look at Jesus Christ, the Son, being declared to be God. And remember, this was the core of our discussion. We were looking at the triune nature of God as a buildup or as a, a sub, sub, substantiation of the nature of Christ as being God. It's not a separate topic. It is a buildup to understand that he is one with God. And he's one with God because he exists as a tripartite nature of God. Okay? Kizungu. Oh. Wow. I think I'll do this again next Saturday. Yes. <laughs> Great. Uh, what, you, what you are online? Nima Apoteza, are you with me or you're already falling off the bandwagon? 
please tell me you're with me at least because my my people yeah hey are you with me not kidogo muna flot kidogo okay okay nitatuma notes what i'll do is nitatuma notes but in summary i wanted us to understand the triune nature of god so we can begin to see the supremacy and excellence of christ as being god as well that is the bigger picture that he is one with god he is one with god he is the heir of all things he is the creator of all things <laughs> his being also gives him his excellency it gives him that supremacy over all things because he is one with god all right okay 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 I want to touch one scriptural reference that is Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 so that I can just I'll bring this to a close just now just now Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 I've I've skipped Jesus Christ the son declared to be God I've also skipped the holy spirit is recognized as God because I don't want to just speak it's not for myself it is for us to understand so if you're not understanding now we'll go through it again next Saturday But Matthew chapter 20 verse 19 says go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. One of the other things I think you know of is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I believe we all know that one. Mm-hmm. Yes, if you don't know, now you now know. know. Yes, that that the three of them work together. The three of them are one. We are baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. So the Son, Jesus, he's being one of the things that sets him apart from just a normal prophet, prophet or a normal teacher where he was called rabbi. or one of the great men who walked who walked on this earth is that he is one with god the godhead he is one with the godhead so the god the father god the holy spirit and god the son are one the only difference if you can call it a difference is probably their representation here on earth or as we know them because we have seen that jesus christ is the the physical representation of god the father and god the spirit here on earth all right he is the incarnation or the human the flesh person the person that we got to see here on earth but he is still one the fact that he another year statement like he was fully god and fully man is it's because he is one with god one with god the godhead constitutes of three god the father god the son and god the holy spirit that is the full essence of god and the different personalities that we meet there have been can i say have been spread out through the dispensation of time from the old testament into the current testament that we are living in the three of them have been appearing in times and seasonal instances whether through the burning bush which you say that is a physical manifestation of the god the godhead through jesus christ because we were told that there is 
Jesus said, there is no one who has seen the Father but me. So he is the only one who has seen the Father. You cannot say that people in the Old Testament need to see God. He's the only one who has seen the Father. So if they were claiming to have seen God, they must have seen Jesus because he was the physical incarnation or manifestation of the Godhead. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we have seen that it is through his power that the worlds were made. His power that resides in us is what enables us to do the miraculous. His power gives us insight to the things that became very difficult, even for the old, uh, for the, our forefathers and the ancestors in the Old Testament, became difficult for them to understand. The Spirit of God, because he knew or he knows the heart of the Father, and he speaks what the Father says and what Jesus says, exists in us. He lives in us. And therefore, we move, we, we move, live, and have our being. Move, breathe, and have our being because of him. Because of him. Because of him. So, so, the salvation that we are currently enjoying, which is keyed or tied to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, is also uh, emphasizing what I've read before in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, where that we have been destined by God the Father. Let me read the version that I shared. We were destined or we were chosen and foreknown by God the Father and consecrated by the Spirit to be made obedient to Jesus Christ. We have been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit because God the Father chose us God the Father, God the Spirit set us apart or he consecrated us or he sanctified us and we have become obedient to Jesus Christ. So, in closing, because time is also spent, there is one God who is one in essence and substance, but three in personality. The personalities we're looking at, which is, again, God the Father, who's the creator and the of all things, God the Son, the incarnation of God as a human being, Jesus Christ on earth, and God the Holy Spirit, the power of God, which is active in the world, drawing us to him and to other, and drawing people, uh, drawing people towards God, okay? He is the power, that's the Holy Spirit. God the Son who is the incarnation of God. And then God uh, the creator who is the sustainer. God the Father who is the creator and sustainer of all things. They are one in essence and substance. But they are three personalities. I want to rest my case for today. Um, if you're interested in getting the notes, for last week, please let me know uh, the audio for last week because I explained certain key terminologies like essence, individuality, form, image, which now make it a bit easier to understand when I say that they are one in essence and substance and therefore three in personality. And what I would like us to draw out from today on a practical level is that one, there was some thought, some serious thought that was put by God into creating mankind. That we are a manifestation as well of his character and of his being. Remember when we started this in the beginning, we said, as Christ is, so are we. 
So everything that we're explaining here about the excellency and supremacy of Jesus is what has been bestowed and given unto us. And our responsibility, like we say that the world is waiting for the manifestation, is groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God, is that we would walk in this understanding and in this power. Once we understand who Jesus is, by understanding who the Father is and who the Holy Spirit is, we'll begin to walk in that knowledge. And therefore, the things of this world that may seem to tread us down and discourage us will no longer seem, they'll be dealing with a formidable force. You and I will go to overcome them because of the understanding we have of who we are. Okay? That is the end game of this whole particular teaching. When we understand the supremacy and excellencies of Jesus, why he is highly esteemed, why he is, he is who he is, then we will know who we are. And trust me, it will not need someone just to start convincing you that you are, you are good or you are destined for more or you know, whatever it is that you want to say to encourage each other. That thing will be embedded in your heart and in your mind that in as much as you may be going through trials and tribulations, there is more about you. There is so much more about you that is linked to Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you that you have come to the conclusion of today's teaching. Um, I know that uh, you will work out a way to make this very clear and understandable to the saints, that it will not be uh, a conjunction of words put together in English and in Greek and in Hebrew and in Kiswahili where it has been spoken, but it shall have meaning to them that they will receive their own revelation. It may not be as quite um, the way I've expressed it, but as they ponder and think about it and meditate on it, Lord, you will give them a different revelation of what this means and where they are and who they are. And I pray that in every endeavor of their lives, that they will esteem the essence of your triune nature in their lives, that they will know that they are not just mere beings walking on earth, breathing and you know eating or whatever it is that we do to sustain our bodies, but they will know that your very essence as the three personalities of your essence and your substance exists in us. And therefore we are not mere mortal men. There is more to us because of who we carry inside of us and because of whom called us. I thank you for all that you have done. And uh, right now, Lord, um, I, I even want to just commit those who, uh, as we prayed in the beginning, um, those who are going through uh, financial uh, challenges, uh, they are feeling that they have done their very best and nothing is breaking through. They're feeling that they have put out all that they have and yet it is not bringing anything to fruition. I pray today that they will be reminded of the substance that is upon their lives, that you have already created that which they require for their sustenance, and they need to lean in on you more, to surrender themselves to your will, to surrender themselves to the power that resides in them, that they will come up with ideas that will be able to sustain their financial needs of God that they will know that you have provided greatness upon their lives that is able to transcend even through their bank accounts, but to the very, very essence of their existence, that whatever they give, whatever they say is more than monetary status, that their words are indeed life because you have spoken life to them, 
And when they speak, life, life, life is produced. So as they understand this, they will speak opportunities their way. They will call forth money. They will be wise in their dealings with money. They will be able to impact nations and those around them because of the providence that they've received from you, because of that great idea that you've given them. While they are working as employees or businessmen or even whatever phase or sphere of life that they're in, Lord, I know that you've created things for them to tap into so that the world will be wowed by your glory through them, O oh God. For those who are unwell or who have loved them for unwell, Lord, I speak words of healing upon their bodies, that, that their bodies will put together into wholeness, that disease will not find habitation in those bodies of God because of what you have done for us on the cross. Healing is their portion indeed. That sickness will fall off from them in the name of Jesus. That miraculous sightings will be seen because what the medical world may have prescribed indeed will conflict with the prognosis of what you have done for them through your spirit. That they will live, that they will live. Whether people, where people had mentioned they will die or they are bound to a terminal disease or they are, they are being ailed by whatever thing, virus or bacteria or fungal infection, Lord, their prognosis is that they will live because you are living in them. They will be healed. They are healed because you've already ascribed healing to us. I pray for those who are having situations in their marriages, oh God. I pray for love, for forgiveness, for healing, for rejuvenation, oh God. May there be a revival in their relationship. May there be an ease in communication. May there be sustainability in all that they do together. We are learning from you that we are one. Therefore, I pray that, we, that those of us who are married will not allow the enemy to step in and to bring dissensions among us. I just want to pray, oh Father, for those who are trusting for a spouse, oh God. Your word says that none shall lack their mates. Therefore, we stand on this truth. Just as you have already declared that a man shall leave his home and join to his wife and cleave to his wife, that shall be their portion, that their eyes will be opened, that the understanding on what marriage is will indeed be a revelation towards them, and they will be ready not only in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense to receive this particular gift. I pray that they will find each other as they commune in your word, as they fellowship with you, O God, these people will find each other and there will be joy and celebration as they come into union. I also want to pray for those who are in leadership of Father today, whether in, in the echelons of power in government or in their in the workspaces or in their relationships, whatever form it may be, even as employees or employers of God. I pray for divine wisdom to be restored and to be activated in their minds of God that they will see things from all the various perspectives that are required of Father to make decisions that are fruitful, that are sustainable for wherever they are, that they will make decisions that will be beneficial for not only this generation, but generations to come. I pray that, Father, there will be no selfish uh, desires that will seem to precede their decision-making so forth. But, Lord, they will be able to be compassionate as you are compassionate with us, and through that compassion, they will tap into the various giftings of the Holy Spirit 
that have already been bestowed in them, oh God. I thank you, Father, for our parents, for our relatives, for our friends, for those who are, you know, close to us, whether by virtue of, you know, just proximity, physical proximity, or by relationship, oh God. I pray, Father, that those relationships shall be stirred up. They shall be stirred up by your spirit, that people shall be able to edify each other. We shall speak words that are seasoned towards each other, that we'll be able to uplift each other in your grace, that we shall not do things that will pull it, pull one another down, that will be destructive, but we shall edify, we shall admonish, we shall, we shall encourage, we shall teach in humility and receive whatever teaching that we have in humility as well. I thank you for loving us, even for this coming week. We know that your love will prevail in our lives. We will not give room to hatred and fear, but we will stand by your love, the love that casts away any form of fear or anxiety. And we, as the light of the world, will be able to shine through darkness, and we shall be a blessing to whoever and whomever will come our, our, our way, oh God. I love you, and thank you for everything. For it's in Jesus' name we have received. Amen. 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 Okay. We are done. Yes, we are done. Okay, Isa, um, can you please send me a text on WhatsApp? Do I have your number, Isa? Isa, have I sent you anything before? Isa, are you there? Yes, I'm here, but it's a bit noisy where I am. So I'm, I'm really struggling to hear you guys. It's raining. Oh, sorry. Have I sent audio messages before? Yes, you have on WhatsApp. Okay, good. So I'll forward the rest. Okay, that's fine. I'll just, I'll just oh. confirm. Okay. okay. Thank Thanks. you. All right. Um, I would now open the floor or the screen the platform for anyone who has any comments i'll give room for two people because we are also spent uh, in our time and i'd like to release us or you your various forms of activities anything that you might have picked or you're taking home or if you have not picked anything just tell me also <laughs> yes kimingi i see your hand is up Okay, 